0: Well, good morning again, everyone. I'm so glad to see you in worship on this Lord's Day. Thank you for worshiping the Lord through song. And now, let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to open your Bibles in the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 25. Take your listening outline from your worship guide. Touch the notes button on the Ingleside side app. Get a pen in hand. And let's look to God's Word today in a message I've entitled how to be a faithful witness. And as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, let me offer a warm, warm welcome to those in our contemporary service as well as those who are joining on TV and online. I'm really glad that you're part of this service today as well. Now, why are we looking to the book of Acts? Well, it's because that's where our chapter of day readings have been over the last 28 days. The book of Acts has 28 chapters. We're wrapping that up. Today, and so tomorrow, we're beginning a brand new book of the Bible in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. So if you've never read the book of Isaiah, I want to invite you to join in. The way you sign up, just text the word chapter to 22828- Put in your email address and you'll be able to join with hundreds and hundreds of us as we read God's word just a chapter a day and apply his truth to our lives for our good and for his great glory. Now, whenever you read through the book of Acts, as we have over the last 28 days, it tells the story of the expansion of the early church beginning in Jerusalem and all the way to Rome. In fact, that's what the Lord said was going to occur. The theme verse of the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I've put it on your, out, uh, on your outline. I think they'll put it on the screen as well. And so let's just read that theme verse aloud. It begins with, but you will receive power. Are you ready? Let's read together. Here we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, who said those words? Well, it was Jesus. And at Ingleside, we are Jesus' people. We love him, we follow him. It's our desire to please him And we want to learn to obey his commands. And so one of the reasons the book of Acts is in the Bible is to remind us if we follow Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus today, it's his plan, it's his will, it's his command, it's his expectation that you and I will be witnesses. What does that mean? It means that we will actually speak verbally to someone else about who he is, what he's done, and the difference that he has made in our lives. Now, the witness began in Jerusalem. I've put a map on your outline. I think they'll put it on the screen briefly. If you look in the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see Jerusalem in Palestine. That's where the witness began. That's where Jesus died on the cross for sins, was buried and rose again. And then the gospel spread throughout the Mediterranean world. And if you look in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see Rome there in Italy. It was the capital city of the empire. And by the book of Acts is over, the gospel is spread from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, and the gospel is continuing to spread around the world today. So here's what I want us to do. I want, I want you to know the purpose for today's message it's really not aimed at the person who's not yet a follower of Christ. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, of course, we hope you will turn from your sin and put your trust in the Lord and follow him. But let me tell you who the message today is aimed at. It's aimed at those of us, if we were asked, and if, if someone said, are you a follower of Jesus? Our response would be yes. This message is aimed at you and me then. And the intent of it is, is to encourage us, to challenge us, to prompt us to re-engage or to engage for the first time the responsibility that we have, the joyful responsibility we have, to be the witnesses that the Lord says that we ought to be. So here's how we're going to approach it. We're going to look at the end of Acts 25 and 26 when the Apostle Paul was a witness. And I think you'll see five or six principles that will apply to us. But then, once we have made our way through the scripture, I want you to help me. At the end of the message, I actually want to ask you, and I want several of you to tell me, who was the witness Who was the person that spoke to you about Jesus that at a human level God used to help you come to faith in Christ? And so I'm going to give several of us an opportunity to say that when we get to the end of the message. So you can begin to think about that now. If you just had to identify the one or the two people that God most used to be a witness to you to help you become a follower of Christ, who would that be? All right, you ready? Let's take a run at it. Let's look at the scripture. It's uh, Acts chapter 25. It's on page two of your outline, beginning in verse 23. It says, so on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice, that's King Agrippa and his consort, Bernice, came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, he's the governor, Paul, that's Paul the apostle, was brought in. So here's the backstory. Paul had gone to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. He was arrested in Jerusalem, brought to Caesarea, put on trial. They really couldn't convict him but he thought he might get railroaded anyway. So he made an appeal to Caesar in Rome before Festus, the governor, sends him off King Agrippa, this is Agrippa the second, and his consort Bernice come to Caesarea and this is where the story unfolds. Look at it, verse 24, Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not live any longer. But I found that he's done nothing deserving death and as He himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my lord, that is Caesar, about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write, for it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So in other words, the governor was saying, I hope I'm going to learn something today to write to Caesar because I really don't think Paul is guilty of anything, but I've got to say something now that he's appealed to Caesar. But what I really want you to notice here is the context in which Paul's witness occurs and the context in which ours sometimes occurs. Here's the lesson, write it in. Number one, the circumstances in which my witness and your witness is sometimes required may sometimes feel intimidating. The circumstances in which our witness is required may sometimes feel intimidating. You say, well, what was intimidating about this context? Well, did you see it in the first verse we read? It it, it was like a, a, um, a, a state event where the king and his consort and the governor and military people and prominent people in the city, they all came in with great pomp and circumstance. And once they were in place with no entourage, all alone, clad in a simple prisoner's robe and with his hands and feet in shackles, the apostle Paul was led into the room. You see, he could have felt intimidated by that setting. But as we're going to see, he didn't. By God's grace, he had courage, he had strength, he had boldness. You know, there's sort of a backstory here if you understand. You can see why Paul might have felt intimidated. Um, This was Herod Agrippa II. He was in the line of Herod the Great. He's the one who tried to put Jesus to death at his birth. His granddaddy was Herod Antipas. He's the one who had John the Baptist put to death. His daddy was Herod Agrippa I, the one who had James put to death in Jerusalem. And now Paul is standing in front of another King Herod, the great-grandson of Herod the Great, and he knew literally that his life could be on the line. And yet, as we will see, he was a courageous witness. He was a faithful witness. Now, it's not likely that you and I are going to be in exactly the same circumstance. But it may be true that we'll be in a circumstance where there's going to be some intimidation or discomfort about speaking up for Jesus. Maybe it's in a work setting. Maybe it's in a social setting. Maybe it's at school Maybe it's in our neighborhood. Maybe it's with extended family members. But the first principle we're learning is even though the circumstance may be intimidating, God will give us grace to be a faithful witness. Look at it. Chapter 26, verse 1. It says, so Agrippa said to Paul, you've permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand made his defense. He said, I consider myself fortunate That it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Don't miss this next principle. Write it in. And that is, my witness, your witness, should be respectful. It should be respectful. Do you sense the tone in that? Even though Paul knew the lineage, the deadly lineage of King Agrippa, he honored his position, he honored his authority, and Paul's tone was respectful. Listen, you all, the Bible never says that in order to be a faithful witness that you've got to be obnoxious, that you've got to be abrasive. In fact, the truth is we're never persuasive when we're abrasive. Instead, the Bible says specifically our witness ought to be one that is characterized by gentleness and respect. So, even in this intimidating circumstance, Paul begins in a respectful way. Then notice what happens next. In verse 4, he talks about his life before he became a Christ follower. Look at it. He says, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion... I've lived as a Pharisee. Paul says, listen, I really don't understand why these fellow Jews are accusing me. They've seen my life. I have been a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, the hope of the resurrection... I am accused by Jews opening. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? The, the truth is, all of the Pharisees believed in the principle of an afterlife and the eventual resurrection from the dead. Paul says, you all know I believe that, so why should you object to me saying Jesus was raised from the dead? Verse 9, he says, I myself, though, was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I haven't always been a Christ follower, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, he says, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So, what's the principle for us? Write it in. Number three, our witness should describe briefly our life before we have trusted and followed Jesus. Now, if if you come to Christ as an adult, there may be a lot of your life, and you'll have to learn how to summarize that in an appropriate way because what you're really doing is saying, I have not always been a follower of Christ but now I am. That's what Paul was saying. If you come to faith in Christ as a child, then you have less of your life, of course, to summarize. Well, what happens next? Look at verse 12. In this connection, Paul says, in other words, as I was persecuting Christians, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. And then he describes his conversion. Now, not all conversions are this dramatic, But they all are miraculous. Look, he says, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those which I will appear to you or which I will appear to you delivering you from the people from your people and from the gentiles to whom I am sending you. And then notice he tells Paul the Lord tells Paul the purpose of his witness. It's the purpose of our witness too. Look at it verse 18 to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul has recounted his life before coming to faith. And then the fourth principle righted in is our witness like his should convey when and how what the circumstances were, when and how we actually repented, believed, and began to follow Jesus. Well, look, it goes on. Two more principles. Verse 19, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple, tried to kill me. And to this day, I have had the help that comes from God so that I stand here testifying. In other words, bearing witness, both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. And then Paul really focuses on the heart of the gospel. Look at it, verse 23, that the Christ must suffer. It means that Jesus died for sins. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. So are you tracking? Paul's in an intimidating circumstance. But in that circumstance, he gives a clear witness. His witness is respectful. He talks about his life before he comes to faith. He describes how he came to faith. And then here's principle five. Write it in our witness, like his, should focus on the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. The truth of the death and resurrection of Christ and his offer of forgiveness to all who turn from sin and trust in Jesus. So whenever we're a witness, we don't simply tell our personal story. We use our story to point to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Well, how does the story end? Look at it, verse 24. It says, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But then Paul speaks up. He doesn't let it go. He said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. And then Paul talks directly to King Agrippa. He says, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. And then notice, he looks right into the eyes of the guy who has the power of life and death over him. And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe? Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time you would persuade me to be a Christian? And then notice Paul's response. He says, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Except for these chains. In other words, he says, King Agrippa, I not only want you to follow Christ, I want everybody here to follow Christ. I only hope they don't have to suffer imprisonment as I am. So, what's the last principle? My witness, your witness, should be bold. It should be bold. It should be confident. It should be direct. It should be unambiguous. It should call to faith. It should not be um, hesitant. But instead, we should be willing to speak boldly to those whom we bear witness. Well, how does the story finish? Verse 30 says, Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man's doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But he had, so they send him to Rome. Paul's under house arrest. And the book of Acts finishes this way. It says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And how was he doing that witness? With all boldness and without hindrance." So did you see the principles? I think they're beautiful. The Lord says, look, I want you to be a witness for me, even in intimidating circumstances. I want you to do it respectfully. I want you to tell them who you were before you came to faith, how you came to faith. And and then I want you to actually invite others to trust me and to follow me. Now, here's my question. Who did God use to be a witness to you? If you had to say today okay, uh, it was this person, and you gave me the name of a person or two or three who was the witness that God used most to bring you to faith in Christ, who would that be? You raise your hand, I'll come to you. You'll be able to tell me, and you'll help me right now. So who, 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 who was a witness to you? Uh, can you tell me? Yeah, let me come right over here. Uh, uh, t- Philip, tell everybody who you are, and who was a witness to you? Um, Philip A. Bear. My wife, Caitlin A. was the witness for me. Oh, wow. And Philip, you, you were baptized. You confessed your faith publicly not long ago here. Isn't that right? I certainly did. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that the coolest thing? Yeah, you can sit back down uh, Philip. Oh, look. Look, I love that. So, Caitlin was a witness to her husband and as a result of that witness, Philip is now in Christ. And following the Lord and serving him. Oh, man. I, I I just, that makes goosebumps jump up all over me, y'all. I think that's just a great thing. Now, before we go on, let me just say, how many of you others would your testimony be like Philip's? How many of you would say it was my spouse who... Was the primary witness Can I see your hand if it was your spouse Yeah I'm seeing hands sprinkled all around the room Of people saying yeah that was the case for me Okay thank you Philip, For getting us started Jim who? who? My mother Say it again My mother And what was her name? Margaret Okay and, and so Jim's mother Margaret Was the primary witness To him and as a result, he came to faith in Christ. Now, let me just ask you, how many of you would say the primary witness that God used to bring me to faith in Christ was my mother or my daddy, my parents? Can I just see your hand? Wow! Well, I wish you could see the whole room because guess what it is? 50% of the people in this room are saying it was my mother or my daddy. So now watch this. What is that telling us? Listen, every mom, every dad in the room Listen, every mom, every dad, God has given you your boys and girls to love and to nurture and to speak clearly to them about the gospel. God may well use you to lead your son or daughter to faith in Christ. That's part of his plan. Okay, somebody else, tell me who the witness was, who was not your spouse, and who was not your parent. Okay, yeah, let me come right around here. Okay, Carolyn, stand up, tell everybody who it was. It was my best friend, Karen Walker. Your best friend, and how, how old was she, and how old were you when this unfolded? I was 35. I had been a Christ follower up to that point as I was led by my parents, yes. but... She led me to believe that I should be all in. Oh, wow. And and was she about your same age? She was. Oh, say her name again. Karen. Karen. She's no longer with us, but she was a witness to many, many people, and especially to me. Oh, I love that. Carolyn, you may be seated. Y'all, did you hear that? It, It was a friend. It was a friend who said, Carolyn, be all in in following Christ and follow him with your whole heart. Now, I just wanna ask you something. How many of you have friends who are not yet all in followers of Christ? Any of you have friends who are not yet all in followers of Christ? I'm seeing hands all over this room. Well, I wonder if you might be to them a Karen Walker, as she was to Carolyn. Might you be the witness to that friend of yours? Okay, somebody tell me. Not your parent, not your wife, not a friend. Who was a witness to you? Somebody not in one of those categories. I'm, I'm seeing a hand or two over here. And so let me come over this way. Becky, do you have your hand up? Tell me, tell me. In addition to- so it was my GA director, Ruth Keller. Say that again. GA. GA stands right. for what? Girls Auxiliary. Girls Auxiliary. And Baptist Church, Euclid Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, okay. Bristol, Virginia. And so you were in the missions program of your Baptist Church, the Girls Auxiliary, and your Girls Auxiliary leader was the witness to you. Right. And what was her name again? Ruth Keller. How old were you about that? that, that... I was nine. Reckon how old she was. She was a lot older than me. She was an adult. (laughs) She was in her 20s, I'm sure, and I thought she was old, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Our Sunday school teachers and church leaders always appear to be old people to us, do they not? I love this. I love your testimony, Becky, because guess what? I don't know that lady. Somebody may have just recruited her and said, hey, will you work with these girls in our mission program? But she had a heart to do something more than that. She had a heart to actually talk with those girls about Jesus. And so listen, everybody in this room who works with children or middle schoolers or high school students, I know when you commit, you're, you're there to prepare the lesson and to and do the activities and do the crowd control, all the other things you gotta do. But might it just be that God intends you to be the witness that would lead them to faith, okay? Not, not your GA leader, not your spouse, not a friend. Cheryl, tell us who it was. At 12, I accepted Christ, but I didn't realize there was more than a Savior. And at uh, probably 25, Dr. Alton Ellis said, is he your Lord? Huh? And I didn't understand what that meant, but that meant he was everything. And who was this? Dr. Alton Ellis. And who is he? And he was the minister at the time at our church. A pastor? A pastor. So you got a responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> Man, she just turned that around on me. Did y'all hear that? She just turned that around on me. I actually love that. I love that. Because guess what? Pastors have a lot of stuff to do. But guess what? Every pastor on this team and every faithful pastor in every church will do. They will be careful to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and call men and women, boys and girls, to follow him as Lord. God grant that that may be so. Now, I haven't covered your category yet. have a, who, who is the primary witness for you? Would you tell me that's not in one of these categories? Do you have one that you could tell me? don't? Uh, my brother Mike brought the gospel to my family when I was 17 years old. How old was he? He was in his early 20s then. He, <sighs> yeah. <sighs> Did y'all hear this? Chris's brother Mike, in his early 20s, brought the gospel to her and her family when she was about 17. Do you have a brother or a sister or a family member who doesn't yet follow Jesus? Well, you could be the witness that God would use. Yeah, I hope hope you're with me today. I hope you are seeing that God in his great plan intends for a room full of people like this who follow Jesus to be winsome, respectful, bold, courageous witnesses for Him. And when we are, God in His mercy will use our witness to draw some to faith in him. Now, some, some of you will say, well, I, I, I'm not sure I'm trained or prepared. Well, if you follow Jesus and you know John three sixteen, you know enough, you can share with someone. You maybe ask a question you don't know. We've all been there. The person with whom you speak may say, well, not now, not today. Well, that will be exactly like what happened with the Apostle Paul a minute ago. But it just may be that if we were to be having a service like this five years from now, that if you're a faithful witness, that person when asked would call your name and say it was him, it was her. They were the witness that God used to lead me to Christ. Join me as we pray. Father, thanks for teaching us, for challenging us, for reminding us. And I wanna pray that all around this room today, brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, would say, yes, Lord, give me the opportunity and I will speak up for you. I'll be your witness. And Lord, I pray that there would be joy in that. I pray that there would be the satisfaction of obedience in that. And I pray that you would give us fruit, fruit for our labor, and that many would come to faith in Christ as a part of our witness. Lord, we love you, and thank you for teaching us today. In your name we pray, amen.